coming to you from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, for Creator Talks. And my guest this week is a returning guest, Matt Mayer Lowry. It's been a while since I've talked to Matt. Last time he was on the show, he was with Cassie Anderson, the artist on his book, published through Dark Horse Comics, Life Formed. That was volume one, Clea Makes Contact. And since then, he published a short story, Party Crasher, which led into the next volume of Life Formed that came out last September 2019, Hearts and Minds. So today, I'm going to discuss with Matt what he has in mind for Volume 3, when we might expect to see that, and a few other projects he's working on and he will have ready for Emerald City Comic Con at his table. And those two stories are Adorable Orphans and Drones with two new collaborators we're going to learn about. Plus, we are going to talk entertainment, in particular, what Matt has been so interested in lately, The Twilight Zone as well as other comics and graphic novels Matt has been reading. Plus, since we both run, we talk about how running is going and how sometimes it can be very difficult. And you can see pictures of some of the great scenery that Matt goes by when he runs on his Instagram account. And when I kick back with the creator, I have an opportunity to ask Matt some of the questions I did not have a chance to ask him the last time he was on the show. And we will learn about some of the important moments and turning points in his life. If you enjoy the conversation you're about to hear, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to helping the show. And now, without further ado, my guest, writer Matt Mayer Lowry, here now on Creator Talks. Matt, welcome back to Creator Talks. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a couple of years, man. Yeah, I guess so. It's uh, time flies, I suppose. <laughs> How is your day going so far? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, just um, I actually didn't get a chance to write at all today because I had other stuff going on. So this is my comic book focus activity for the day. So I'm, I'm happy to get it in. Let me share something that happened today with you that is bizarre. This has to do with personal space. You know, we all have our personal space. I won't mention any names here. I'm at work. Go to the restroom. I go to a stall. And I hear, Chris, is that you? And I reluctantly answer, yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, that, uh, I said, wait, uh, hold on. I said, I don't talk business when I'm doing my business. <laughs> I will see you afterwards at your desk and I'll even wash my hands because that's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> okay, okay. It's like, I'm thinking, dude, this is not the place. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that that makes me glad I work from home and mostly by myself. I have never had that happen. Guys, you know, you walk in, you use a urinal, you nod. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, all right. You don't say, hey, you know that report? No, no, we're not we're not doing that. Gotta set my boundaries. For sure. So how's running been going? At my age, uh, it's sort of like it feels like running is sort of like the mitigation of potential injury with, you know, activity. My back already went out this year and like I had to wait that out. So um, but it's you know, I'm pretty used to it. I'm in a flow and doing pretty good and getting my miles in enough of the time, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I can't. We probably talked about it last time. But if I don't get that done, uh, I start to, you know, slowly lose my mind um, since I'm at home by myself most of the time. Yeah, it's going good. I had some uh, had some good ideas uh, for Cleo and Alex for the next life form today, actually, on my oh, run. So um, 
So that was nice. And yeah, I mean, that's the time I do most of my getting into the heads of my different characters. Um, when I am out there with my brain freed up and my anxieties away, that tends to be the, <laughs> the time where most of the stuff comes. Yeah, it's great. And today was actually only raining for half my run. So I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, the weather can't always be great. Although I am kind of spoiled out here. But yes. like, if it rains, I'm like, it's raining? You know, it's, like, right. it's so bizarre. Yes. I do uh, and, miss running in the sun. That was, uh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's nice. It is nice. Although come June, July, August here, it's better that I get out early. Because it yes. can be pretty darn hot. But yeah, I like you. I'm also having to watch injury and things like a nagging persistent hamstring that I have to really stretch and if I don't I've got some serious issues I sit all day like you, you know we work on stuff we sit at a desk loosening up is important and I'll be on a roll I'll be doing great and then something will happen I'm like ah. Oh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, then you're out for a couple weeks or whatever, and it's just, yeah, it's rough. But I actually switched to a standing desk a while back because of my back, and uh, I, it took a little bit to get used to. And now it would be tough to sit all day long for me. So, um, But yeah, I mean, like, you know, you don't treat those hamstrings right, and you're, uh, you're hosed one way or the other. I was out running. It wasn't this summer. It was last summer. And I might have mentioned on the show, I can't even remember, but I was at the beach. And I was running every day, a couple miles, not a big deal. And on the way back to the beach house, it was just like, what happened to my back? I didn't trip. I didn't step on anything. Just something shot right at my back. Mm -hmm. And I could not straighten up without extreme pain for like two weeks. It was horrible. Ugh. My wife's like, are you all right? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> and I don't know what I did. That came out of nowhere. That stuff is bizarre. When I took mine out earlier this year, it was just like I just stepped down wrong. I wasn't running. I was just like stepped onto a surface I wasn't expecting and wasn't ready. And getting old is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's not for wimps, you know? No, no for sure. <laughs> you mentioned you had an idea for the next chapter of Lifeform. Now, the last time you were here, we talked about Lifeformed Cleo Makes Contact. Since then, there was a short story called Party Crashers. And then you had volume two, Hearts and Minds. So we'll catch everybody up on where we are and what else you have in mind. Now, Hearts and Minds came out in September. As you know, everyone, if you don't know, I'll catch you up. Aliens are attacking the Earth. I listened back to this interview with you guys. I was talking to you and the artist, Casey Anderson, and I was blown away by what happened in the first trade because I didn't read anything about it in advance. So when right. her dad is killed, I'm like, oh my God, I thought this was going to be a father-daughter. And it still turns out that way. It's Alien Dad. I did read the second volume. I thought it was really interesting how her alien dad was becoming more protective of her. He had kind of absorbed some of those emotions and memories that her dad had of her. We got through the setup in the first volume. I wanted to try to, like you said, basically deepen the bonds, but also sort of test them in volume two. And so at the start, something sort of triggers what I would call them in the book, mind flashes, but um, or in the script. But these visions that alien Alex, who is the shape-shifting rebel alien that uh, Cleo teams up with after her dad is killed and who takes the form of her dad, basically like he touched her dad to take on his shape. And he also, as it turns out in volume two, 
two, we find out, acquired some of his memories. So he's kind of got these flashes happening, these bits of things that when Cleo does something in the present time in the story, he has like a quick flashback to something else from their past or from his past. Usually it's around sort of anxiety and worry and stress and fear for her safety. And so as that stuff sort of builds in him, that creates some tension because he wants to be protective. And Cleo, as we see at the beginning of volume two, is like totally grooving on going out and fighting aliens each night and getting really good at that. And then, you know, going back and having a good time. And so I kind of wanted to create that tension between them and have volume two mostly be a story of sort of internal conflict, whereas volume one was really them against the invaders. So that was sort of the point of that. And I pulled a lot of ideas as far as those mind flashes that uh, Alien Alex has from experiences of, of my own, you know, both when I was a kid and having my own daughters. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to figure out how to fit some of that stuff in that kids do when they're young and crazy and don't really know how to take care of themselves and sometimes actively seem like they might want to be hurting themselves because uh, they don't know any better. It was a good story and I feel like it's getting stronger and better with each volume. That's great to hear. Yeah, it was, uh, and we did Party Crasher, which was a short story before book one came out as well. And we just wanted, you know, something to kind of hype the coming of volume two. And that was just a fun one where Alien Alex tries to throw Cleo a birthday party in a video game arcade, old style retro Portland arcade, and an alien gets in while Cleo's all by herself and she has to take the alien out amid all the video games and stuff. So that was really fun. And like, I actually wrote that after. Uh, I'd written the script for volume two. And so it was fun to feel like, I don't know, you know, the more I have them in my head and stuff, the easier it all comes to me and the more like sort of fun it is just to spend time with them and find different things for them to be doing. And I'm glad you corrected me. Owen Wills is not in this. So this is not Wedding <laughs> Crashers. This is Party Crasher. Yes. So uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that's available online if people wanted to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. We've got that up at uh, lifeformedcomic.com. And then the Hollywood Reporter actually like hosted that on one of their blogs too. So um, that was kind of cool. I saw that. And yeah. I was like, ooh, impressive. Hollywood yes. Reporter. It felt real fancy for a couple days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nobody called, but it was cool. How is Cassie Anderson doing? She's doing great. Ahead of volume two of Life Formed. Cassie released Extraordinary, the story of an ordinary princess, which was a collection of her web comics she did over the last five years, I think. Like she was working on that when she and I connected to start Life Formed. And she completed that as a web comic. Dark Horse wanted to collect it and put it out. And so that came out in July. That came out, did really well, got great reviews, a lot of good attention. And then uh, Lifeform 2 came out, which I think, like you were saying, the story is getting better as it goes. I feel like Cassie and I now have, it's 2020 now, right? Like six years of experience working together, um, <laughs> which is crazy. We've got our thing kind of down, and then she's just killing it. Like the stuff she did in Volume 2 is just super beautiful and I feel like the first volume was great. I feel like in volume two, she like leveled up in all these different ways that I wasn't expecting because I thought she was already pretty awesome, but doing really good. And I think she's working on a few different projects now, doing pretty well. And we'll be at Emerald City, both of us uh, tabling with the Helioscope crew. And when you do put together volume three, right now you're just kind of thinking it through, but she'll be on the book as the artist? 
because it wouldn't be the same without her. Yeah, yeah, no, I I can't imagine it would ever be anybody but her. So uh, if anybody's listening for the first time, it's definitely like a 50-50 co-creator thing. Like it, she is the heart and soul of the book for sure. Uh, hard to imagine it being anybody else. Well, with her projects and your work, are you looking at maybe like every couple of years putting out a volume? We're trying to figure that out. And that also involves Dark Horse, just the publishing industry at large, which doesn't move very quickly. I think right now we're kind of waiting to hear from Dark Horse about, you know, what might be next in terms of a schedule and We've also talked about some different ideas. Might we be able to change up the format or something slightly to be able to move a little quicker? So I think in short, like everything is kind of up in the air at this point. But before book two even came out, uh, I would go back and change a few things. But I've still got a very detailed idea of what would happen in three and four if we were ever to get that far. So I've got the basic article outlined in volume three, a rough draft at least. So yeah, like I said, it's been a year at least since I finished that. So I would probably change it up at this point uh, if for no other reason than just to not be bored. I think we've got a pretty solid, you know, what I was sort of envisioning as an initial phase of Life Formed was sort of three to four books. Well, it is a volume, so it does take a while to get one done. Yes. And it takes about... Like the script writing process for those is usually three to four months once Dark Horse is involved. And then after that's done and Cassie starts the art process, it's nine to 12 months, just depending on where things fall in the year and all that stuff. It's a lot of work. And by that nature, it's going to be every, it couldn't really be more than once every year and a half. I would definitely like to get more out there. And volume two ends on like maybe a lightish cliffhanger. So I kind of would like to be able to pick that up. And like you were saying, I, I, don't, I feel like the more time I spend with them, the better the ideas get. And I don't know, the more we can like really dig into the different aspects of all the different relationships. So now you mentioned going to Emerald City and tabling there with Helioscope. Now you're also going to have something ready for the con are you not with another collaborator i'm hoping to have two things i was hoping to have three but it's comics so um <laughs> it's it's hard i've been working with lisa nafziger who is um, actually one of cassie's scad classmates i met lisa years ago when she tabled with cassie at rose city and we kind of communicated online a little bit because she's a huge bowie fan and i'm a huge bowie fan and we'd gone back and forth a little bit about some of that stuff and she loves david lynch and everything too and anyway uh she's great and we are working on a short story about sort of like american girl dolls that are androids that uh, sort of go rogue and inside of a family and so um it's sort of a little dark comedy black mirror type of story that i think will be a lot of fun i'm also working on something with Tyrell Cannon. Let's see, he did Astrobiology, which was a Kickstarter comic that actually just shipped. That is going to be another short story. And, you know, you've followed my Instagram, so you know I've gone down the Twilight Zone rabbit hole oh, uh, yes. big time. My goal lately has been to try to develop the story I'm doing with Lisa is like eight pages. The story I'm doing with Tyrell is 14, I think. Basically, like all my comics writing has been life form that's been produced. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to try to just bang out some stories with some great artists and try to learn a lot more from working with other people, from trying to tell different kinds of stories and see what I could do. I believe I will have both those printed by Emerald City, I hope. And so I was thinking I might sell them in a little pack with a printed up version of the Party Crasher story. So I'd have like a little three comic pack. But yeah, that's been super fun and getting art from 
folks from, from scripts I've written is the best thing. So it just gets better the more people I'm receiving stuff from, and when, especially when it's turning out great. And both those are feeling like they're working really well. And yeah, I'm just trying to crank away on more short stories aside from that. And I've got a few projects, ideas for longer things as well that I'm kind of filling out my schedule for what I want to work on this year. These two short stories are going to only be available at cons directly through you? I am debating that, I guess. You know, it's pretty easy now to just post it online. I might just put it out there as like a freebie thing, or I'm kind of thinking I might just go to the like and buy them at the con and have the printed copy and it'll be cool. Or you can go read it online. I'm a physical comics guy like you. Mm -hmm. And so like, to me, it's sort of like, I'll go check something out online, but that's not going to stop me from picking up something that I think is cool. So I think I might do that. And then I'm loosely hoping to maybe collect all this stuff under some kind of uh, banner myself and self-publish it when I've got a collection ready or a Mount ready for a collection. So what other cons do you have planned? You got ECC, Animal City Comic Con. You know, I'd love to get into New York. We went there and didn't table, but did a signing and just cruised the con uh, when Cleo Makes Contact came out, 2017. And that was great. And it was my first time in New York. And I have been wanting to go back ever since. So I'm kind of hoping to get in there. That might be the big focus. And I'm also looking at comic-con la which is i want to say it's in september or october but i'm not 100 percent sure so probably a like one more west coast thing if we can get in there and swing it but ecc is awesome and uh, i can't believe it's already back again uh even though i'm very excited for it it felt like the last year went really quickly uh, <laughs> <I'm busy. laughs> yeah very busy i guess but it's great and it's like five days up in seattle trying to not eat and spend too much money on food and uh <laughs> or in the bar or whatnot and now i've met some folks that I can like hang out with at shows, which is a lot of fun. And so it's great to see people again and just have a good time. And I guess that's about it. It's, it's you know, the balance between going to shows and then having also enough budget to keep paying the artists for the short stories and stuff. So it's sort of like a balancing act there. Uh, try not to get too overextended on that front. Well, you mentioned uh, Twilight Zone and uh, let's talk entertainment since sure. you uh, mentioned that. I noticed besides Twilight Zone, you were also, and you had mentioned you're a Bowie fan and you post uh, Bowie things. And I don't think we discussed this last time. I don't know how I missed it. I'm a huge Bowie fan, of course. Oh, sweet. oh yeah, big time. And uh, did you see the graphic novel that came out? I have seen it. I love all red stuff. And I somehow forgot to pre-order it. So they've got my shop, which is Bridge City Comics in Portland, uh, is amazing. And so they've got it on order for me. Um, I was totally bummed that I missed it. And they had, so of course, sold out of all their copies by six o'clock the Wednesday it came out. I've seen some of the previews that he posted. And it looks amazing. I'm about halfway through it because I'm taking my time with it because I got like a stack of books. I'm going back and forth. Mind blown, man. I'm telling you, there's like some collages in there and montages that it's like every page is a work of art. Nice. And he worked in so many other people. I mean, it's not probably exactly true history, but there's a lot of things that really did happen that have worked in there. And it's it's worth the wait. It exceeded what I expected to see. And it was really, really good. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's amazing. I did, did you read his Silver Surfer run? Oh, yes. Okay. I think the first time I started reading his stuff maybe was Ecstatics. Not 100% sure, but I'd seen it before then. But I think that's the first thing I really dove into. And then that Silver Surfer just was mind-blowing. And so, yeah, well, that's awesome. I'm super excited to check it out. Yeah, I do like uh, the tangible books. And finding space for them is always a bit of a challenge. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found ways oh, yes. to be very creative with doing that, with stacking boxes and 
Uh, I got shelves for them so I can slide them in and out rather than having to move boxes. Nice. Because you know those back problems. Uh, yes. You know, that's how they get started, <laughs> yep. one box at a time. But anything else that you've read lately that you're really excited about, you enjoyed, and you want to spread the word about? Yeah, so like Little Bird that came out from Image last okay. year. Did you check that out at all? I didn't, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's amazing. A hardcover just came out end of November. Really nice collection. But yeah, that story was like the most amazing thing I read last year. It's just the art. It's Ian Bertram as like super intricate, super weird, super detailed, super beautiful. It's a really bloody tale of revolution, I guess, but it's super well done. It, of course, this totally clicked with me when I was a kid. And like I first picked up Matt Wagner's Grendel stuff that was probably a little bit ahead of my reading level and was kind of like confused by it, you know, odd by the visuals and everything. Kind of reminded me of that really interesting Grendel stuff from back in the 80s. So that's great. I read Thumbs also from Image, which I really, really enjoyed a lot. Sort of like technological part virtual reality story, part not. And usually that's not my thing at all. I, when I saw it was that, I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And then I read like the first issue. I'm like, oh, this is really good. By the time this gets out, it'll already be out. There'll be a trade volume one coming out. I keep trying to go back to some other stuff. So I've been too slowly rereading The Question from Denny O'Neill and mm -hmm. Dennis Cowan, which is like my favorite comic. After I was, you know, old enough to not have my favorite comic be G.I. Joe, it was The Questions along with, you know, the X-Men and stuff. So that's amazing. And then Immortal Hulk is... Oh, mind-blowing every i issue. love it yeah i get every issue of that i didn't get the first one and I, I, I gotta find the first one so i bought the second printing and i just stayed on ever since then and went back and found the first printing not that i'm like collector crazy like that but i'm like no 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 that's a beautiful ross cover i want to have all these so it's been a great series yeah, yeah. And like his covers, I would definitely went through like my Alex Ross period and I totally always appreciate it. But for a while, it, maybe I'm over that. And then he started doing those covers. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing. I have like some shelves up where I just kind of put my books when I'm done with them so I can still see the covers and stuff. I've got the one where it's like Hulk's head and the cosmos inside it. Yeah, you don't want to put those in a box. Oh, no. no. You want to display those. Yes. It's like posters. I always feel like I have a new poster every week. Yeah, that series is amazing. I don't know how it like keeps getting better as it goes. Even and the artists, when the main artist is taking a break, are fantastic. And the stories that they get are completely suited to them. It's mind-blowingly good. And it feels like the thing that's really carrying the, like, this is a Marvel comic, you know, like, in my current reading. Like, I loved House of X and all the X-Men stuff. Hulk feels like a Marvel comic that could have come out anytime and is really something special. So, yeah, I would say those are my tops at this point. You mentioned Twilight Zone, and when I moved from the East Coast to here, I had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And I hated doing it. And one thing, going back to Bowie, I had all these cassettes, all these VHS cassettes wow. that I had recorded off TV. And a lot of it was Doctor Who off of uh, PBS. And I'm like, I just got to get rid of it because I replaced most of them anyway. Totally. But the fun thing is the commercials and the people on there, they're like 20 years younger. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a record, but I have to get rid of it. One thing I did keep, though was Bowie was on, I think it was At Your Request, it was called, where people would call in and say, we want to hear this song. And it was hosted by Al Roker. Oh, and wow. this was 2002, three somewhere in there. I kept that tape. Nice. <laughs> so I can go back and watch it, because I don't know if you can even see it anymore unless you recorded it. Yeah. And then uh, I got rid of a lot of other stuff I had. I took it to like a, um, a used bookstore CD shop. So I would trade them in, get credit, and buy something else. I'm slowly watching these. I have so much stuff to watch now because I 
bought all these discs while I was there and I got the Twilight Zone set. Nice. Tell me why you're so into it right now. It feels somehow super fresh, even though it's obvious when you look at it, it's dated. But like when you watch the episodes and the emotions and stuff that are there, it feels completely contemporary, especially in our completely effed up times. And it feels like almost every episode is speaking to stuff that's happening now just as much as it was stuff back then. You know, the self-contained nature, like when there's a really good twist or when there's a good twist and then there's another twist that comes in right at the end. Rod Serling was just amazing. And, you know, Matheson and all those guys that like wrote that stuff. It feels, of all the TV I watch, it feels the most sort of alive and relevant, I think, which seems weird, but is cool. And I'm just a sucker for like black and white stuff late at night. So it's like, me you know, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like we were talking about being old earlier. It's now like now that you're older, you wake up at like three for no reason and you can't go back to sleep. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm just going to go watch some Twilight Zone and like, it'll all be okay. I'll never really be tired. I'll never, really, you know, whatever. It's just really, really well done. And it's fun to see like actors you saw later in like Jack Klugman's and a bunch of Twilight Zone and stuff. And so you're like, oh, it's Quincy. I was watching one that had uh, Robert Redford in it early in his career as a police officer. Well, he, I think he was, well, spoilers. Hey, it's old, but yeah. he was deaf. <laughs> he okay. was deaf. This lady wouldn't let anyone into her house because she knew death was coming. But this police officer had to come in. I think that might have been one of his very first roles. Interesting. And then I, then I saw the, well, the Christmas episode with Art Kearney. I don't really like holiday-themed episodes. And so I was going to skip that one. And I watched it. I was just a wreck at the end. Like It was, <laughs> it was, it was good. amazing. It was yeah. amazing. And I was just like, yeah, like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. There's the famous Shatner episode with the demon on the wing of the plane. Oh, but yes. There's another one where he's uh, in this diner. I saw uh, that. Yeah, with the machine that's, you know, maybe telling you your fate. Like, he's great in that. It's super fun, super inventive. And when I was working on Lifeform, especially because Lifeform was my first thing, and working on that first book, I was struggling to, like, lock us down to something under 200 pages. And so I feel like watching that has really helped me figure out how to do something in a much more contained space and, like, get down to something that's eight pages. I'm able to, like, watch it for entertainment, also watch it to see how it's working and dissect it a little bit and try to learn from it so it's really just wonderful and like i dig into rod serling a little bit and he you know, find out he's a very interesting guy who i'm also just very aligned with thinking wise so it's all super interesting and i found a podcast where they go through each episode and give a bunch of backstory and stuff which is really wonderful so yeah it's just been like sort of a fun experience you know it's really something to check out because of how good the writing is and how good the acting is and just to see people you go oh there's someone so i recognize them i like that about the old movies too i'll watch noir films i got into those too and I, i love watching those most of my teenage years i would put on something with bogart in it while i fell asleep and so like there's many many things I know by heart because I couldn't sleep very well back then either and uh, and watched a lot of Bogart a lot of film noir it's definitely like my happy place the last time you were on we had some fun questions I call it kicking back with the creator which I'm like I need a better name but for now that'll do and uh, we covered some of the basics and I've added more questions since then cool since we talked about Party Crasher and it was Cleo's birthday what was your favorite birthday that is a good question like when I think of birthdays, especially being a kid, I don't know. I must have been, I would guess, four. This was after Star Wars had come out. The cake my mom got was a sheet cake with these like hard sugar figures of R2-D2 and C-3PO. 
Okay. And they were well done. I mean, in my head, they looked very good in terms of their match to the characters. And I remember thinking I could eat them, but they were like, just like sugar concrete. I can remember the feel of putting that in my mouth and like some of the frosting came off, but I realized like my teeth would break if I actually <laughs> chomped down on this thing. So that always comes to mind when I think about my young birthdays. Well, that's an impressive cake. It sounds like. <laughs> I think it was impressive. Probably that must have been 78 or 79, I would guess. Things you can do with sheet cake. It's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> and sugar. And sugar. Sh- sugar is amazing. <laughs> what still gets you excited every day? What I try to do is get up every day before I have to do my day job stuff. So I get up at like 5.30, grab coffee, and come up and try to write for like two hours before I need to start work work. And that's pretty much what gets me out of bed and gets me motivated and is the sort of like inspiration. And sometimes that's me actually writing. Sometimes that's me getting some art in and like maybe sending some notes back to the artist. That's sort of like my comics time. And one good thing about coming to comics kind of later in my life is that that's totally fresh and new for me. I'm not jaded on it at all. It's still amazing that I have a couple books at Dark Horse and that I'm making comics at all. It's still mind-blowing. So that's pretty much it. And then when I'm flagging later in the day, like going out and running, I still look forward to that all the time. And that's probably my second thing that keeps me happy. And I get to kind of write again in my head while I'm out there. So yeah, I think just that, like making stuff that's cool and people respond to is great. What was a book that you read that changed the way you think? I'll go more recent, maybe. Will I do that? Yeah, because I'll remember more. Um, (laughs) I was not a good reader. Like I read comics as a kid. I didn't read much else. I read probably like five books by the time I was like 15. And then one of my teachers gave me Vonnegut, and then I was like, oh, okay. Then I was off. So that was a paradigm shift in just in terms of actually getting me to be a novel reader. Recently, I would say that Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation, which was turned into a movie with Natalie Portman a couple years back. So he does kind of like this weird horror sci-fi blend that's a little bit Lovecrafty. It's a little bit like Alien. It's a little bit like Lovecraft. It's kind of like all this weird weird goodness with really nice language and he changes stuff up all the time when I, so annihilation is the first book of a trilogy called the southern reach trilogy about sort of maybe an alien invasion it's never really even very clear it's a group of women basically form sort of a military group more like exploratory they journey into this place where supposedly this alien invasion happened and it was so weird and so abstract but not abstract and felt like it just spoke to all the things that I've always liked in, you know, other media and just really tied a lot together. And also I read that when I had finished life formed and I was all about like structure and the hero's journey and all that stuff. And I was kind of like, Oh, here's what you can do when you just let go. That really like opened my brain to wanting to exist more in that place that when it, when you look at movies or something, it's more of like the David Lynch place or where it's just like, let's just be sort of free with our subconscious and our ideas and like see where it goes. And so 
yeah, that was a whole new thing for me. And I think they call it like weird horror or something like that. Now I can't remember weird fantasy, but I would go with that annihilation. And that also, if you look closely at the beginning of life form volume two, there's a, a human refugee from the invasion that meets his demise. And before he does, he's reading annihilation. So, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. So we snuck, we snuck a few references in there. Uh, there's a little bit of inspiration from all that stuff too. in there in the story overall. Okay. So that's a book that changed the way you think. Now, can you think of a moment in your life, a turning point? These are good questions, but not provoking. I can remember certain things very clearly. Like when I was 15, I was just going for a walk after school before a party where I met my longtime girlfriend and first wife, actually. Okay. And I was just thinking about my life and just thinking, yeah, I got the hang of this. I kind of have an idea of what it's all about. And I kind of feel really, you know, secure. I didn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had it all together. I'm 15. I got it all together now. I just yep. didn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really a turning point, but I do remember thinking, yeah, okay, I got this. Yeah, this, this all makes sense now. No, no, it doesn't. You go to college and everything gets thrown out the window. Yeah. No, no, forget everything you learned. That's not true. No, really learn how to think. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if that would be my turning point, but going to college and having the first writing class I was in, my wife and I got together when we were in high school and we went to college together. And so we both kind of went through this at the same time. So we talk about this frequently, but I remember so well going into the first like writing 101 and I'd been writing, you know, for the newspaper and everything uh, for a long time or what felt like back then a long time in high school and junior high. And so had all the people I was in that class with. And the teacher just eviscerated us. Like our first papers were just like a bloodbath of red ink and everybody was just destroyed because they all thought they were great and were just told on the paper that their thinking was trash. It was a physical representation of what you're talking about. Like none of what you knew is right. You need to start from scratch. That was a fun one. Um, like one thing I remember a lot, and I think it just made me really connected to all the stuff I take in media wise, since that's kind of what we're talking about. There was one time where when I was an angsty teen, my grandparents lived on a golf course. We were there for like a big, you know, family dinner and I just didn't want to be there. And I walked that entire golf course, which I knew very well because they'd lived on it for years and I'd played it a lot, but it was, you know, like dusk and nobody was playing. And I just walked the whole course, like listening to, um, rubber soul and the connection to that i think it went from something like that i'd always enjoyed music and i was really into it to being some sort of much more profound thing that like i was just completely connected to it <laughs> it was the way i access my emotions i guess i'll go with that walking the golf course at dusk listening to the beatles and that's one of my favorite beatles albums too i know sergeant pepper is considered like the pinnacle but those other ones before it as they were starting to transition their sound a bit and the kind of lyrics they were writing rubber soul revolver i really like those rubber soul is still my favorite i don't and part of it's probably because of that emotional mm -hmm. connection but it's before going really out there with Revolver and Tomorrow Never Knows and stuff, it's still really focused on the pop songs, but they're pushing at all these different things in a really interesting way. And the new elements are sneaking in, but they're not taking over yet. Yeah, I think it's really, uh, really unique in that way. So, And my last question is, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? Like, don't buy those cassettes and records. Just wait for the CDs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Interesting. I, yeah, I guess that's true. That's uh, as I save was, some money. 
Because you're going to buy things multiple times. This day and age, this is what happens. You get the DVD. Oh, here's the Blu-ray. And now, oh, well, i got to buy it again. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Yeah, I guess the thing that's been most clear to me, because I was always trying to make stuff and like I had bands and stuff through high school and college and everything. And just like you would kind of just work on something for a little bit and then like think it was done and that it was, you know, genius because you made something at all not that it was necessarily good or it felt good because you made something but um i would probably go back and like tell myself to just do the work and just do it every day and you're not as our college professor told us like it's not good enough keep trying and just keep pushing and keep pushing because i think like you know you'd write a song and you'd make a tape of it and then you'd think somehow you were gonna like get signed by a record label that's not how it works (laughs) like you got to keep showing up keep doing the work and yeah keep pushing on it so and i don't think that that was clear and i don't think it was very drilled into us that that's how things worked and that's how you got good at stuff so i think i would just uh, yeah go back and tell myself to do the work and maybe you'll write comics before you're 45 <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe not because you don't know what to write about i know when you create something you're making something and you're young and you're first starting out doing it you get really close to it and you're really focused on it and you listen to it over and over again and that sounds pretty good yeah i like the way that came out and then you step back for a while and you listen to it and go, oh, that's not as good as I thought it was. Yes. But when you're really close to it, you don't hear the mistakes or the flaws. And then after a while, it's like, oh, I guess I should keep trying. Yeah. And even now, like the part of like doing lots of work that nobody really talks about is that how much you learn like each time you do something. So the more you do and the more you're critical of it and you try to not be so close to it, the better you get. And I feel like it's important to just like crank through as much work as you can so that you can learn as much as possible. I really appreciate you joining me again on Creator Talks and come back again sometime. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, folks. So that's my conversation with Matt. And he has confirmed that he will have adorable orphans and drones both ready for Emerald City Comic Con. So if you're going, stop by, say hi, and pick up a couple of copies. One for you and one for a friend. Coming up in the weeks ahead, I have J.M. DeMattis discussing his one-shot Star Trek comic book with the return of Khan in the Mirror Universe, as well as J.M.'s writing classes. And coming up is that 200th episode, my special anniversary interview with a guest with years of experience in comic books and who has worked with such greats as Louise Simonson, Bernie Wrightson, Russ Heath, and more. So keep your eyes out for an announcement on who that will be. It is already recorded. It's a longer one, and I'm already at work editing that one. Who's coming up on the next show? Well, you can find out by following me on Twitter. My podcast is contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. I also am posting my Bronze Age comic books from my collection on Saturdays and Sundays. I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram, and I will post those there. But most of my announcements about the podcast, they come out on Twitter. If you'd like to reach me, you can do it through email creatortalks at gmail.com that's creatortalks at gmail.com you're listening to this show now you found me and i am available on several different platforms so depending where and when you like to listen i'm available on apple Podcasts, google play spotify youtube and voice enabled devices and as i said at the start of the show please rate and review on apple podcasts it helps reach more people and Word of mouth is the most important way to spread the word about the show, so please tell a friend who likes comics 
and comic book creators. Well, I hope you have a great week. Enjoy your new comics and any back issues that you've managed to find. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time. Thank you.